0: Father, we come to you this morning grateful that we can be in this place and worship you and praise the name of Jesus Christ. And we stand on that firm foundation that because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have been purchased out of a life of sin and death and been adopted as sons and daughters into the mighty kingdom of the Almighty God. We are so thankful and grateful for the mercy and the grace that you give us fresh every day. And Father, we just ask that as we get up every morning that we can spend time with you and commit to living a life that is pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you because you have redeemed us and given us new life in jesus christ there is no other name that forgiveness of sin can be found and we pray this morning that you would speak truth to our hearts through the preaching of your word in jesus name amen good
1: morning reliance we're going to be reading Romans 6:12 through 23 today. Therefore, do not let sin do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be your master, be master over you but you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart that one, uh, sorry about that, from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your, your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
2: Thanks, Emmy. The mic didn't want me to come up. Um, well, good morning, Reliance. It's good to see you. Um, before I guess we could turn our attention to the text this morning, I would just uh, like to bring your attention to, uh, to what Adam said in the announcement that uh, we'll be begin demolishing walls in the next couple weeks. So I think if things go according to schedule and I don't, if, I don't, if I speak accurately next week will be the last time we sit in this space. Um, so with that in mind, um, yeah, it may get dusty. Um, and for the next couple of weeks, for those of us that have been doing this for a while, we're used to building walls and then taking them down. Um, uh, why did we do that? I don't know. But uh, God does. And uh, uh, if you guys are available next Saturday at 8 a.m., Adam and I would enjoy spending time with you and demolishing things. Um, it's one of our gifts. Um, second, if you have been uh, considering Reliance, if you've been watching and you have been considering the leadership, uh, one of our hopes is that we're approachable. And one of the ways that we would love to introduce ourselves is on the first, month of, first day of every month, we have Meet the Pastors, where you can just hear a little about our convictions as a church so immediately after the service, you'll find Adam in your room in the hallway with a sign. And five minutes after the service, we'd love to talk to you. Um, you can ask us any question if you'd like, within reason, um, or out of reason, that is fine too. Wow. It seems to me that uh, as we continue to go through the the letter of Romans, just reminds me of how theologically uh, adapt or adept, Paul viewed his, con- his readers. Um, I have spoken to several of you that Romans has required more discipline and study than any other text that I've read. And so with the passage before us this morning, I pray that you would pray for me as you would pray for yourself to ask yourself how God would, might convict you with his word and call you to response and obedience. So I ask that you pray with me this morning. Lord, I thank you that uh, we have come to know, through Christ Jesus, the hope set before us and that he conquered death, freed us from sin, from the wages of sin indeed was death, but the gift, the gift of Christ, the gift of God, you have given us eternal life. But Lord, in this transition of recognizing the great reward and while we've tasted the Spirit's work and within us, Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful in this season. Lord, I pray that we would take sin seriously. We live in the midst of a world, to say that best, that our world is concerned with righteousness. It's rather careless. And Lord, as we interact with it daily, Lord, we find ourselves being tempted by it. And Lord, I pray that as we consider the text this morning, that we would be so enriched with the gospel that we would see the benefit of pursuing holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul concludes this chapter with the remarkable phrase, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Israel, more than the Gentile society, was more than aware with the impact of sin. The wages, the consequence of sin was rather very real to them. They knew it presently and they recognized it historically, having the benefit of the scriptures And so they knew how sin entered into the world through Adam. And sin through Adam came along death. But it's not only that story that shaped their view of how sin impacted their lives. Consider Achan. His one act of greed. He saw the gold, he saw the silver, he saw the mantle from Shinar, which apparently was A unique ornament. And he took it for himself. His greed, his one rebellious act led to 36 other men dying. And the nation, unlike our nation, recognizing that there was sin in the midst of their land. Caused and sought out to figure out who had sinned. Person by person, tribe by tribe came before Joshua And eventually, eyes turned to Achan. And Achan, knowing his sin, he came before Joshua and he said these words in Joshua chapter 7, verse 20. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I coveted them. I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Achan's love for money, his love for self, his love for riches, his greed, paid out in full with 36 other men dying. Sin pays, it has a wage, it has a consequence. Joshua, hearing this repentance, imagine in our society someone coming up and being so forthright about his sin that we might respond the way that Joshua did. This seems careless or it seems over the top. Joshua, looking at Achan, said this. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, verse chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, the son of Zerah. They took the silver They took the mantle, they took the bar of gold, they took his sons, they took his daughters, they took his oxen, he took his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, all that had belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. All of Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. We live in a society that would look at this event and say, that seems a little bit over the top. And I imagine that there might be some in this room that would say that uh, the wages of sin is not of that caliber or of that consequence. And that one man's greed, yes, indeed, led to 36 other men dying. That everyone within his family should be eliminated yes our culture disregards sin and at best is careless with it over time we tend to minimize sin and the impact on our lives the early church Christians didn't look at the Aiken story as merely as a historical reality in the early church let me remind you I come and I hope that you're not one of them who would view the God of the Old Testament as cruel and vindictive. The God of the New Testament is just as serious about our sins as he is in the Old Testament. And the Jewish Christians in the very beginnings of the early church recognized this. Mind you of Ananias and Sapphira who then themselves were filled with greed and wanting to have a prize named within the church before the apostolic The apostles themselves convinced themselves to tell a lie and only give a portion of the money and to keep the rest with them. And their greed led to their sin. Peter, upon seeing Ananias in Acts chapter 5, look at the consequence of sin. Look how it pays. Acts 5, verse 3 through 5. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold, Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last. And great fear came over all who had heard it. The early church... They recognize that the God of the Old Testament was the God of the New Testament, and was serious about sin within His church, and how how contrary that perspective of Christ is in our society, in a society which disregards, minimizes, is casual with the impacts of sin on our lives. Some might think that again that God is being harsh. Those within the early church recognized the consequences of sin. Sin pays. And it pays through death. So often in our society, if we are being honest, even with ourselves, we want a softer Jesus. But Jesus spoke radically against sin, didn't he? He said in Matthew when he was preaching, that if if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And not only that, whether well, there was an individual response. Jesus even taught his followers that if you see a brother in Christ walking in sin, there is a responsibility that you have towards that individual. He spoke in radical terms when he says, and how foreign this reality has become even now in the church. If your brother sins, go, show him his fault in private. Why? Because the dignity of the person is important. If he listens to you, you have won. you won. There's something about calling one from sin towards holiness. The church wins as sin is removed from its borders. You have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, we get more serious. Take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, Gentile, a tax collector, an unbeliever. Jesus spoke radically with sin. So let's be clear. The Jewish Christian community had this honorable perspective as it related to how we live our life as we pursue Christ. The challenge is, is that Paul has just said in verse 14 of Romans chapter 6, sin shall not be a master over you for you are not under law, but under grace. And this cuts deep into to the Jewish mind, how is it possible that these pagan Gentiles will take sin seriously? For we know, as Paul has already told, the benefits of the law. It shows us how we ought to take sin seriously. It reveals the fact that we are not holy and we must pursue holiness. It heightens our awareness of what's wrong within us. It often reveals the wrath of God and the condemnation towards those who practice such things. Those are highly motivated, motivated motivations, aren't they not? And those Christian Jews recognize that the law would take a part in helping convict and inspire those away from their sin. But Paul has just said... You're not out of the law, but you're under grace. So how in the world will Christians take sin seriously? You understand the concept here? Because not just in the Old Testament, not just in the early church, the church historically, presently, does not treat sin casually. And it is a result of recognizing what has changed within, which guides the individual to respond towards their sin. So let's be clear. I believe, as Paul is addressing this Jewish audience here, their concern is honorable. It is right to guide people from sin pursue Christ. These are honorable. Well, what's wrong? They have not realized the power of the gospel. And he's going to use a term to illustrate this point. You haven't seen it before. And so he asks the question now, if you're tracking with me, in verse 16. Do you not know? And this first point will be, is what he argues, we are all slaves. This is the first point. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death Or obedience resulting in righteousness. I believe Paul has been waiting. Oh man, he has been waiting. And what I mean by that is this is, I think, a strategic moment in the letter to put before the reader something significant. You may have noticed it when the reading was done this morning. There is a term that is used more frequently than elsewhere throughout, before the letter up to this point and after the letter. And the term is slave. The first time if you were to read, and I've asked you to regularly read the book of Romans, if you read it regularly and if you were to start in Romans chapter 1 to chapter 6, you would recognize the word's not there except for one other time. The first time that Paul talks about the concept of slave is in Romans chapter 1 verse 1, which he writes, from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. After this moment, he never speaks about it until Romans chapter 6 again. And he's waited to draw out this new relationship we have with Christ as a result of our previous relationship to sin. And he's going to argue that the relationship we have now to God is similar to the commitment that we once had to sin. As tempting it is for me to address the Greco Roman culture of slavery, in light of our own historical shameful practice of slavery, I would just merely point you to our previous discussion we had over the summer in first Peter chapter two, verse eighteen through twenty five. You can go into the archives and you can hear that conversation. But Paul pulls out for the reader, and just be careful here. It's not Paul that just does this as he attributes the identity of an individual who pursues Christ as a slave. Paul does this. James does this. Hebrews. All the apostles use this term as a familiar representation or relationship that we have before God. Jesus Christ himself uses this term in many of his parables to depict this relationship. And so, in short, the Greco-Roman slave that now Paul is going to mention eight times in this section, shows us the recognition of what a slave is, that he is fully willing to accomplish the will of his master. That's what a Roman Greco slave was known for. He sold himself into slavery in order to accomplish not his physical wills or his own objectives in life, but he's, he set himself aside to accomplish the will of his master, a Greco-Roman slave, understood that their body, their time, their resources were set aside to satisfy the one whom they're under. And Paul, in verse 16, to put the level, put, the, put everybody in their place, just merely says, we are all slaves. Do you not know Look at verse 16. Do you not know you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And in Paul's mind, there are only two options. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to God. Why do Christians take sin seriously? This is what it comes down to. And so just as a reminder... Because we have talked about it frequently and we'll spend more of our time this morning looking at what does it look like to be a slave of God. Let us remind ourselves, point two, that we were slaves of sin. This is what we once were before our salvation, the power of the gospel took hold. You can see this language throughout. Look at verse 17. What he says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. There's this, something's happened with an individual where there has been something of a purchase that's transitioned the, the slave under a new authority. Verse 18, having been freed from sin. Verse 19, you once presented your, presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further Lawlessness. Again, verse 20, which is probably the most significant to draw out how a slave lives for the one whom he's under. For when you were slaves of sin, verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. What do we mean here? What does Paul mean here? When you were a slave to sin, you lived according to the will of your master having no regard for righteousness, no desire to satisfy that intent. Rather, being a slave to sin, your full will, desire, and intent was to satisfy the one who you were under. That is why those who are not in Christ, in our world, when they handle sin, in this society, handle sin sinfully. Because they are bent towards their master. Yet in order, As Paul will argue, in order to deal with sin righteously, you must have a new master. You must be under a new one. In other words, slave of sin obeys the desire, the wishes of their masters. You heard me several weeks ago. I think it's helpful to bring it back again. You act according to your nature, just like a bird who is made to fly. He cannot become a mole because that is not towards its nature. You find one, well, let me know. If you've seen a fish, they can only do that which is according to their nature. To make it a bird is contrary to its very being. To make a slave to sin act and freely in regards to righteousness is to ask it, to ask him or her to act contrary to its nature. This is why I pleaded with you. I reminded myself, what does the world need to hear? In light of its sin. Repent. Be reconciled to God. Don't get caught up into the other issues and the fruits of sin. You'll find many reasons to find the fruits of sin everywhere. Unless something happens at the heart level, there is no hope for them to pursue righteousness. They will always... While they might see goodness before them, they will pursue goodness sinfully. This is the nature of our humanity as a result of being descendants of Abraham, Adam and Abraham. I meant to say Adam, not Abraham. But Abraham would be included as well. And we've talked much about this thus far. But look, sin has ruled, as Romans chapter 1 Paul has tried to show that this is once we once were, but this is the power of the gospel, that we were once slave to sin, but something has happened. And this leads us to understand the impact that we have in our relationship with Christ. Find it interesting, if you just consider with me, as he has told us about our position before Christ and before sin. And verse 11, he says, now knowing who you are, you ought to consider yourselves... To be dead to sin, but alive to Christ, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so in some sense, we can look back to what we once were. Sin has been eliminated, or the power has been overthrown. But in the same sense, in verse 12 he says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. And so we recognize there's this tension in this new position that we have, this is why Paul elsewhere he will proclaim the victory, right? About this new position that we are free from sin, free for, to live alive for God. But then he will still say, "You have your work to do." This is why he will say in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-one, "I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ our Lord, I die daily." Christians take sin seriously because they recognize once they once were, point three, recognizing now who they are in Christ. You are slaves of God. Which is where I would like to take the remainder of our time. Do you know why a slave obeys its master? We are all slaves. Interesting. This is how God has wired us. We are obedient We are designed to be obedient to our desire. The one whom we're under. And if we're under sin, we recognize the fruits of that. Paul is going to essentially say that if you are of Christ, look at your fruit. What is it telling you? Do you not know that you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Verse 16. Either of sin resulting in death, Or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Look at this. Verse 17 and 18. Profound words that he uses here. Helpful words. But thank be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became. I would underline it. How? How did that happen? But not only did you become something, you became obedient from the heart to the form of the teaching to which you were committed. Under sin, you despise the things of God, but because of what God has done in you, he has so transformed you now that which he teaches is now attractive to you. How in the world does that take place? So often, if somebody doesn't read this whole section, there is a temptation to say that we must work for our salvation. You see it here. You have to obey. But if you miss in verse 17, if you miss it in verse 18, and having been freed from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. How does that happen, reliance? How are you transformed from a slave of sin to a slave of God? Do you do it? Well, if you've read Romans six up through one through six up to this point, you would, with without hesitation, would say, "No, I did not put myself in this position before God, for I was a sinner, for I was helpless." Romans five six. For we were all helpless. That at the right time, at the right time. God, Christ, died for the ungodly. We were sinners, unable to satisfy the righteousness of God, but God demonstrated His own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who makes the individual love to do that which he once despised? God. Remember, this whole section starts... All the way back in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, no works, no effort, but simply by belief, hope, in Christ we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, that's master language. By our faith, we find ourselves under A new master. And being under a master. We find our introduction. By faith into this grace. In which we stand. And we exalt in the hope. Of the glory of God. We have a new master. for he has. Purchased us. Redeemed us. And that is what Paul is pushing back. Towards the Christian Jewish audience. The law. Doesn't help them doesn't help you. It has no ability to change the person from a slave to sin to a slave of righteousness. The only ability by which that can happen is by the power of God, who has the ability to to give life to those who are dead. So where does our hope rest? Only in God. And so Paul, responding to this significant problem, Christians take sin seriously. Why? Because the master takes it seriously. And you can read all about it. And we don't need a law to tell us that anymore. God has revealed this to us. And he is much more compassionate and gracious to accomplish our holiness, now holiness now is our objective under the law. Mediocre righteousness was our aim, right? To satisfy its intent. Read the Old Testament. Jewish individuals, okay, you want sacrifices? Well, hon, get the goat. That's no, we're not going to want. Let's just go through the motions and get the sacrifice system done. Let's get through the mediocre practice so that we might be right before God. That is not the intent under our master. Rather, holiness is. Verse 19. Now I know I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, just as, just like you once did to slave to sin, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulted in further lawlessness. Now if you are a slave of God, Present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification The aim your holiness. We have a new master, and in this new master, he is able to so transform your heart that you once now hate the sin that you once practiced. Look at verse 22. No, verse 21. Astounding truth here. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving... From the things which you are now ashamed. Should that not marvel us? We once loved pursuing lustful things. Greed, money, resources, whatever, you name it. But now, as a slave to God, you're ashamed of it. One of my close friends, when I lived in Spokane... To see this radical change in an individual is just so wonderful to perceive. I grew up in a Christian family. So the perceptions of going from a slave to sin to a slave to God was was slower for me to recognize, right? But to see a grown man who makes fun of Christians for singing, now weeping, at the truths, of the songs as he proclaims it. He now despises the previous position that he was in. What is that telling him? What is that telling me? He became something. The law didn't bring him there. The power of God who is able to give life to the dead transformed him. We don't need a law. We need a master who has the resources to change your heart towards pornography. Or towards money, or towards your children, or towards your spouse, towards your employer. Because the law will merely show you that you are far unable to satisfy the righteousness of God. You need what the prophets of old proclaimed and hoped for themselves a new heart. And who gives us that? No law. Why do Christians take sin seriously? Because their master takes it seriously. in that he bears it himself on the cross for your salvation. And so mediocre righteousness is not in our vocabulary. What is in our vocabulary? Sanctification. Verse 22. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your Benefit, your fruit, resulting in holiness, sanctification, and the outcome eternal life. Christians are serious about becoming like their master. And so we pray Lord, forgive us of our sins, convict our hearts where we stumble so that we cannot let sin reign in our mortal bodies and obey its lusts. We want to pursue you, knowing full well sin has been atoned for. Its victory over me has been removed because Christ has died for it. But today I need to pick up my cross and follow you. And please give me throughout this day fruit, fruit, so that I might see your activity in me. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is, what does your fruit look like? Like The Christian can know in some regards we have assurance if God is within us working. Because we can look at our fruit and we can say, is that of the slave of sin or the slave of the master? It terrifies me that someone who could be confronted with their sin Not feel its conviction. If they've been had of a brother in Christ, two or three, a church. What you're doing is sinful. That they would dig their feet in, like in Romans chapter one, even knowing that the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do only the same and give hearty approval to those who do it. So no, we don't need a law, we need a master. Titus 2.14, God Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Do you not know? Do you not know that you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Christians take sin seriously. Because our master takes it seriously. I think we've done our due diligence in the text. But one last thing. For the wages, the end result of those who pursue a life under sin is death. What I, thought I find interesting about verse 23 is that we will often want to read it. I tend to read it and think, okay, the front half is going to be like the back half for the wages of sin is death, but it's not and. If it was and, those who pursue righteous disobedience, then eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's not what it says, does it? Because we have been given this new position in Christ as a gift. I can't wait to get to chapter 8 to determine how, how does one daily do this. But we're not there yet. We know this, the wages, it pays, it pays you in death. The sin of death, where the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that transformation from becoming a slave to sin, becoming his servant, his slave, is a gift. Resulting in your righteousness, resulting in your obedience, resulting in your sanctification is your eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is something which is given. Let's conclude with our convictional response. I like Romans has been hard to just grasp it, but it is so fruitful if we just let it take hold. Paul Paul's not shy to say that, you know, you're not a slave of sin anymore. But he's also in the same way he's going to say, like, don't let it rule. Die daily to it. Because you're Christ. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. I don't know if you can read any of the epistles. Talks about addressing how we respond to sin. Carelessness as results to sin is like, take heed lest they fall. Like faithfulness to Christ is honored and takes a lifetime in pursuit to see that fruit in one's life. So why, I've asked, do Christians take sin seriously? Well, our master himself took it seriously and takes it seriously. He disciplines his children who walk in it. We can see how it responds in the early church. And one of our principles here at Reliance Fellowship, as we've been now going at it for a while, is to respond convictionally to God's word. We don't want to be a people who merely understand Romans intellectually, right? Like, there are benefits to knowing God's word intellectually. But if it stops there, we have done no benefit for ourselves. And so as a staff, we have been currently reflecting together as a team, how, do, how are we doing when it comes to handling the word of God, topics like this, that guide our people in ourselves, to respond convictionally to the Scriptures. And that could be whether you're playing a keyboard, whether you're writing small group group curriculum, or whether you're talking to a two-year-old in the kids' ministry. How do you handle God's Word in such a way than to call ourselves to obedience? And I submitted to them that I have trouble sometimes trying to figure out how specific I need to be when it comes to confronting sin from the pulpit or behind the scriptures. I genuinely believe that it is our benefit to hear the conviction and to be a people who respond to it because our aim is holiness, sanctification. And so even as a pastor... I stop back and I step back. Stop back, that's not right. Step back. You you put up with so much from your pastor. Um, Last week was, what was it? Personified. It is a word. (laughs) Waiting for your sanctification. But pastors, we don't get to make this position up. Like what I get to say. Why? Because I have a master. And so when I read 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, I want you to hear the language that Paul says here. Look at verse 1. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. What is that language? Master language. Right? Right? What he's about to say next, slave, is what you are responsible to do. Right? That's his language. He's not tiptoeing around, hey, Timothy, as a pastor, this is what we want you to do. No. Master language. Next thing that he says is what? Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction. When Paul writes... Do you not know that you are a slave to the one whom you obey? The church is so it's recognized as a body of people that recognize their responsibilities to the master, and he raises up different positions within the church and calls in those positions to handle his ministry in particular ways. So when I look at this, I have to ask myself: How do I convince myself? Whom do you obey? I have told you this before. Like it is tempting to preach towards contemporary discussions. What's, what's happening into society? And I think we ought to be, as pastors and leaders, able to guide and to help and assist people walk through the seasons that we live in. But the primary responsibility of a leader within a church is what? The master said it, preach the word. And I hope, and then you would pray for me, that I would do it for a lifetime, faithfully. God's fruit will be evident for all of us to see. But we don't, just, we don't just let that conviction just sit at the pulpit. Or behind the one who's preaching the scriptures, or the one sitting behind the keyboard. We individually ask ourselves that question. Whom do you obey? What does your fruit look like? And so when I ask, do you grieve your sin? Or are you defensive? Dismissive? When you have a brother in Christ who submits to Matthew 18 as a, a way to live life and confront sin within the church, do you cast it off? And you have two or three more that come along and say, you are sinning and they've done it graciously and compassionately. What is your fruit saying? Tell me what your fruit is when you read Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. And Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembly towards, assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the greatest joys that I have loved about COVID is that soccer practice, volleyball, football has been canceled because it has been those within the church who have treated it with idolatry. And they will miss a gathering of the church for a football game. And a pastor should be able to say, or brother in Christ, should say, that's wrong. A pastor should be able to say, a friend should say, what you said on social media last week was sinful. It was divisive. You have been warned, not once, not twice, but three or four, five, six times. Not by one, but two and three others. And you continue to bear this fruit. What is your fruit telling you? I grieve only that because it has taken up more of my time, Adam's time, this year. What you say in public, on social media, is not a private place. Christ oversees it. Your master observes it. And when you create division within the church, I grieve, Reliance, you have been so good. But there are churches in this local community that are being ravaged by the claws of Satan, which is creating division within its people because of the way that they speak to one another on these platforms. And I plead I with you, flee. Flee, edify. Do you not know that you are slaves of the one you obey? So as you clear, your social media place is not a private place. And Christ observes it. Tell me what your fruit tells you. How do you spend your money? Would you invite another brother in Christ to see it? And the answer is no. Like where, like you see the challenge for a pastor. Like where does he get specific? Sometimes, sometimes he's so specific it's too far, and they leave, and they're gone. They never come back. And I pray that God will put them under a church that has a, a leadership that preaches the word. Parents, are you slow to anger with your children? Co-workers. The reason why we ask you to read your Bibles is that you can stir these things about God, which He has called you, the Master as He called you to, and you can actually see your fruit. And when you do, you can can give it to Christ who is gracious and He's kind and He's forgiving and He sanctifies you to walk in holiness. What am I trying to say? Christians take sin seriously, for a lifetime. If you're in your seasoned age, you're not done. Finish. Don't coast. Finish. Those of you who are in the beginning of your life and you walk with Christ, run with endurance. It is, you think it's hard to say no to the things of this world. It's not. For if you know your position as a slave to Christ, you know it's for your benefit. That you pursue holiness. Let us conclude with this. I have badgered us enough. 2 Peter 1.10-11 Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling. The writers of the New Testament want you to consider your faith. They want you to evaluate. Examine yourself. What is your fruit? Make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For this way, for in this way, the entrance inter- into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. We take sin seriously. we know the wages of sin is death, but our benefit is sin gospel, the power of God who transforms us is a free gift of God which provides us eternal life under our master, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are able to be able